Hello, Mary Seed of Wisdom. This is Deacon Kevin Blendauer once again, and I'm here with the very reverend. Uh, not sure I'm on senior quite yet, but I think you should be in the work. Uh, Ron, Ron Kalis. Oh, yeah. I'll put in a good word for you. That's that. No. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, Ron, let's jump to the deep end of the theological pool. We're going to talk about the real presence. And I know people are missing the presence of each other, missing the presence of their family and friends and actually being with each other and hearing all sorts of stories about uh, Mother's Day visits from the curb and things like that. But I think what I would talk about is the real presence of one of the things we're missing is communion of the Eucharist. So the Pew Research recently came out with a number that I certainly was astounded by because it uh, almost doubled what I thought it was. 70% of Catholics believe that the Eucharist is actually only symbolic and not the real presence. And I think that's alarming. Ron, your thoughts? Yes, I was very shocked to hear that. You just would assume that people who were catechized in the Catholic schools and also in religious education classes uh, would have that notion very clearly in their mind and see the great privilege that it is about how our God of the universe and Jesus is present to us, uh, not just uh, in thought or, or something we read or in conversation, but actually really present to us. Much as God was present in the Old Testament there in the burning bush and in the manna and uh, in the Ark of the Covenant and so many ways leading up to the coming of Jesus among us, who is the Son of God present among us, and a way to be present to us after he leaves the earth in a real a way, although sacramentally, through signs, but nonetheless very present within us. Makes a difference, a huge difference. And you, you're kind of going along from a, a kind of a biblical history of what that revelation of Jesus as the word, and then Jesus in the gospel in John chapter six would be say described as a mass was when Jesus goes up to the mountain, the halfway point to meet God sitting as a teacher, gathering with his disciples, teaching uh, similar to what we do at mass, gathering to listen to the word and Jesus essentially teaching about him being the bread of life, uh, multiplication of the loaves and fishes. Um, what a fantastic chapter that is in the gospel, essentially pointing to Jesus as the real, he is saying he's the real presence. He is it. Yeah. Yes, and uh, when he is challenged, he doesn't back off. He reasserts it, that I am this presence with you. When you receive this bread and drink this cup, you are present. I am present in you. And uh, we know that some people thought that teaching to be too difficult and walked away. And uh, then Jesus asked the disciples, are you going to go too? He's not going to re-explain this in a way that's more comfortable. He keeps insisting that I am present to you as bread is present uh, here today in this miracle. That's how I am going to be present to you. And then, of course, 
We see that again at the Last Supper. And that's been our rich, rich uh, tradition and treasure for all these centuries. And I, you know, I, I can see, you know, that these first century Jews hearing this for the first time or hearing it, maybe even listening to, to Jesus over the number of years. I mean, what does that mean when Jesus say that it's translated? you know, to gnaw, literally gnaw at my flesh and drink his blood. So people were just probably grossed out by that and, you know, said, how can this be? You know, mm-hmm. and, and I, I, I think often that we are so blessed some 2,000 years later and all of this theological um, intelligence, if you will, explaining that to us. So I think how much better we are, are uh, than, than those maybe that even actually heard the word in, in, in person, if you will. Yes, we've had that gift consistently. And when people had challenged this uh, along the 2,000-year uh, history, the community of faith, the church reasserted uh, what was said in the sixth chapter of St. John and said, this is what we believe and hold that he is present to us, my body and soul, uh, humanity and divinity, when we receive him in, in that uh, sacred moment of bread and uh, cup. Uh, of course, challenged as it was, Thomas Aquinas <clears throat> had this uh, philosophical way of looking at everything uh, and talked about substance and accidents. So bread has a substance uh, that makes it bread, but it's accidental, if it's wheat or rye or white. Uh, but what makes it bread is, is this substance of bread. So what Thomas is saying, the substance remains the same, and, and uh, or excuse me, the substance changes into the body of Christ and the wine into the blood of Christ, while the accidents uh, remain. So it still looks like bread and still looks and tastes like wine. So where is that coming from? But the sacredness of the word. You have a great story. Tell it about the power of the word. Yeah, I, I, I so we're, this kind of gets to, this definitely gets to the words of transubstantiation, right? The words of, the wonderful words of consecration. And I think uh, uh, Bishop Barron had a wonderful analogy of a baseball game. And uh, the powerful words, you know, words can be descriptive and words can be transformative and can, quote unquote, change reality, as he says it. So if you are a fan at a baseball game and you see a player rounding first base, sliding into second, and as a fan, you say, well, he's safe. You yell, he's safe. While the umpire uh, there says, well, he's out. That is, those were words, not just, just, he's not describing what the action of what's happening there. He's transforming those events. He's changing those events, similar to the words of consecration. And think about it, not even, not, before we even get there, think about the power, the transformative power of Jesus' words, like Lazarus, come out, pick up your mat and walk. Your sins are forgiven. And I think about the wonderful meaning behind all this. You know, Jesus is the word made flesh. And, that, and he says, this is my body. This is my blood. And he says that at a, very, at a time right before, you know, he is executed, essentially. So 
it's just not the these it, it, the timeliness of those powerful words are very important and as yes. as a as a priest ron i mean i you, you say those words i mean we talk about those those transformative words yes uh again baron points this out and uh you know i i i speak to the truth of it too uh, in the prayer that's being said at uh, the uh, Eucharist, the priest is describing an action that is taking place, and then he switches. He doesn't just tell you the story about what Jesus did. He becomes, the, the words of Jesus are in his mouth. He proclaims the word of Jesus, and the power of those words is what changes that bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. This is my body, he says. And not referring to himself, but to Jesus who said those words. Uh, so it's just not a storytelling there. It is the actual words of Jesus uh, being said and the transformative power of the word, as you just described it in that baseball uh, example. Um, so that's what it's based on. Our 2000 year history has always proclaimed that even when it was challenged. And somehow we have gotten away from that because maybe it's not scientific enough, but somewhere along the line, words matter. You know, when a doctor says, this is what's wrong and this is what we have to do, you don't dilly-dally with it, you accept it and then you do it. You can get a second opinion, but probably it's going to be the same. So the power of word, the power of word, and uh, transformative power. I love the story that he tells when he's after mass in the sacristy and he's praying being Bishop Barron and he's praying and um, he's kind of closing his eyes and he's, he's in a prayerful moment and he just he hears someone say, father, there's a lot of blood over there. And, and he <laughs> kind of looks up and he sees it's a, a 12 year old altar server. And all the server was basically saying is, there was a lot of precious blood left in chalices after the mass. And he said he had to give him kudos for the right theology. Yes, there's a lot of blood over there. Um, so after consecration, it's no longer bread and wine, as, as, you, as you said. Uh, uh, it, I think of the other thing about the being present, or right, the presence of you know, we say it and we throw this around quite a bit is, you know, when two or more are gathered, you know, Christ is present. Christ is present. I think of all the times when we gather together in the church. Uh, when in the church prays, Christ is there. We say that. When mm -hmm. we perform any individual out there is performing a work of mercy, Christ is present there. And whenever, and I thought this was interesting for us, Ron, whenever the church preaches, meaning anyone gets up and gives a homily. It's the church that's, it's Christ that is present there, not Ron Kalis or Kevin Blendauer or Tim Monahan or anyone else. Uh, he's present during the mass. But it went on to say that Christ is present in the Eucharist in the most fullest of sense. And that, wow, and I thought, wow, that, that is just so powerful. The next time I hopefully receive um, that will certainly give me pause for consideration as I approach the Eucharistic table and, and as I literally consume Christ. And what, what does that mean? Yeah, it, it does defy the imagination, but the gift of faith 
what ultimately allows us to believe it. And what are we putting faith in? We're putting faith in the words of the one that the Father sent to be among us uh, and the power that he exhibited. Even in his day, you know, when people had their issues or uh, with him, he would say, if you don't believe my words, look at my actions. Uh, right. My actions speak to not only the words, but the actions speak. Uh, and yet people still had trouble with that. Um, so ultimately, it comes to faith. And, and that's a gift that we have. It's been freely given to us. God doesn't force us. So it's something we have to say yes to. Um, and it's normal to have doubts. But looking at all the testimony of 2,000 years of belief um, and the story of Jesus himself in the Gospels certainly is credible for us to believe in that. Uh, Kevin, I, I was telling you about something I came across on. Uh, television. Uh, the evangelicals are putting out the life of Christ right now. It's a, uh, a program called The Chosen. P very powerful, showing the life of Jesus from the Gospels, but also showing particularly how Jesus worked through his humanity. At the wedding feast at Cana, he goes there. We know the story. Uh, but we see Jesus dancing with the disciples as men used to in a circle. Uh, he was participating in that. that that's how he lived. And uh, so when they run out of wine, his mom goes to him and says they have no wine. And he looks at her and says, well, you know, I don't think this is a good place for me to demonstrate, uh, you know, who I am and what I am about. But yet the compellingness of Mary and her humility uh, for uh, the embarrassment of the couple can't you do something for them? I know you can. And we know what he did. Uh, that, that was extremely powerful, too, because she says to the waiters, do whatever he tells you to do. And if we accept that, uh, then we have this beautiful gift uh, of his presence within us. And, and not only when we receive it in that moment, but also kept in our churches, in those sacred boxes we call tabernacles, the presence remains. It's not just something that comes and goes. Right. It's there regularly and always. Uh, yeah, it takes faith, but when we are bridging that gap, oh, what powerful things it can accomplish in us to be like the Lord himself. Uh, and this, uh, I, I want to see how this uh, a production company is going to portray this part of Jesus's life. Uh, right now, they are at the wedding feast, the Cana, the calling of the disciples, um, the uh, healing of Mary Magdalene, and the beautiful discourse Jesus has at the well in Samaria. So beautifully done and sensitive uh, to Christianity in general, not promoting any particular denomination. Uh, and uh, it, I, I, I was just mesmerized by it. People can go to this. Uh, there's an app, The Chosen. And you can go on the app and catch up with it. And you can transfer it. If you have a, uh, a smart TV or a fire stick or something like that, you can transfer it to your large screen and uh, watch it. Oh, so powerful, so powerful. Especially today when we can watch all kind of stuff because we're sitting around. Why not... Uh, take a trip into the beautiful 
a message of the Gospels and the presence of Jesus at that time, and to know that that same Jesus is present to us here and now, too. Sounds good. It probably beats Tiger King. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Ron. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever technique. I haven't watched it either. So, uh, well, Ron, thank you very much for joining me once again. Uh, and we're going to head to the shallow end of the pool. How about a prayer and a, and a blessing? Yes, I came across a beautiful prayer and I've used it. It's not mine. I found it. Somebody sent it to me. But the more I uh, put it out there, people love it and they want copies of it. So here's how it goes. We pray always to have eyes that see the best a heart that forgives the worst, a mind that forgets the past, and a soul that never loses faith. So may God's blessing be upon all those who are listening to us today, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Amen. thank you, Kevin. Thanks, thank you, Ron. Kevin. Keep the cards and letters coming. Take care, <laughs> everybody. God bless. Mary Seas Quarantined is a Mary Seas of Wisdom dynamic original podcast.